0: Yes, 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 Omega-Y's in the house. Now, now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you could make it. Table fam, how are we feeling tonight? If I have not had a chance to meet you, my name is Isaac, I'm the pastor here at the table and part of our incredible leadership team here today. And uh, to start off, I just need to share that actually me and my wife actually have some personal news. Um, I, um, uh, when we kicked off the fall, it was like in late um, August, early September, I told an illustration that we had COVID, which is true, we had COVID. And then in that story, I said that my wife Lauren was then throwing up. And after i talked to some people after that, and you're like, is there a little more going on than just COVID? And the answer is yes, there was more going on than COVID. Here's actually a picture of our baby girl uh, that we were having. <laughs> So we found out we're having a girl, uh, Vera Victoria Trevino, uh, coming uh, March 31st, 2022. We are so excited, and um, I'm really, like, our, our table spiritual family is growing, and I'm also just super pumped for me personally that my biological family is also growing. Um, I came into the office today, and I met, um, I kind of walked in with uh, Pastor Jarian, I don't know if you guys know him, and we were able to talk just for a few minutes. Um, and basically, because uh, Lauren and I posted last night, if you follow us on social, um, that, uh, this photo, uh, and then he said, um, um, it's crazy how the smallest thing in your house will take up the biggest space in your heart. And I was like, Ooh. exactly, so I just like, started crying, I was like, that's so good, I like, wrote it down, and uh, anyway, we're just really excited, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in here. Um, Father, I'm so grateful for you, God, I'm so grateful just for new life. Um, for new life biologically. God, I'm also just incredible just for new life spiritually. God, and I know that you are doing such incredible things in the hearts of our people here at the table. God, and I pray that you keep sending your Holy Spirit um, to awaken f- dead people to become alive, blind people to be able to see, and people can be born, Father, into your kingdom. Oh, we love you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you guys uh, noticed the weather, a little weather change? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know what that means. It's cuffing season, right? It's the time of the year, this happens every year, where people start, you know, the, the, the romantic relationships start picking up a little bit, the, the feelings around romantic relationships start picking up again. So we meet with y'all one-on-one, me and our staff team and a lot of our leaders meet with you one-on-one, and in our one-on-one conversations, here's typically how they go, as we'll talk through work and we'll talk through life, and we'll talk through decision-making, and we'll talk through some struggles that you may have, we'll talk through how to navigate family, how to make decisions, and then, for, at least for me personally, in my experience, when I meet with people one-on-one, there's this pause. And then this pause, here's typically how it gets filled. So there's this guy... Or, so there's this girl, right? And then add in another hour-long conversation uh, after already having met for an hour um, to then process any relationships or future relationships um, that we may have. So we have this perfect storm of a lot of our team just meets meets with you guys one-on-one to process relationship stuff. Um, The weather's getting colder, um, which means more relationship stuff is going to start coming. Um, So we just thought, hey, what if we just had a series called Modern Romance? How to navigate love, sex, and dating. So that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of the fall, going into, going into the holidays, is just helping us navigate um, love, sex, and dating. And even as I say the word dating, here's what I know to be true. Um, it produces so many emotions in you. See, for some, you're like so excited, right? And that's why you're here like, yes, woo, I'm so excited to talk about this. Like, I'm really excited. Woo, let's go. I'm ready. And for others, existential dread. Existential dread. Right? You're just like, oh my gosh. Um, When I graduated college, I had moved to Dallas. And in Dallas, um, when I was living there... Um, there, was, uh, I, there was like 4 million people that live in Dallas, and when I had first moved there, I knew one person. Um, and that one person invited me to a young adult gathering very similar to the table. Um, so we start going to this young adult gathering uh, together, and I start um, kind of meeting some of her friends, and um, then I start just experiencing the gathering. And at the gathering, after I'd gone a few weeks, they announced that they were doing a series on relationships, on romance, on love, sex, and dating. And you know what her response was? Oh my gosh. She was so annoyed. She's like, Isaac, they do this every year. They always talk about this. Like, I'm just done. I'm so over it. I think she was salty because she was single, right? <laughs> um. For me, I was, I was excited, like I was really excited to talk about this, but I think for her, just this conversation, I know I'm making a joke, but let me be kinder toward her, I think just this conversation um, produces a lot of emotion, just reminds us, some of us, of the state that we just really don't want to be in. So even as we're having a good time, and we're going to talk about love, sex, and dating, I just, I'm aware that it produces a lot of different emotions in us. But for me, going to that series, and even in my 20s, like I was really, really excited, right? Like, I, I really enjoyed having conversations throughout my 20s around love, sex, um, and dating. And here was my problem, though, is I thought I had it all figured out. I did. I thought I arrived with wisdom at 25. I'm here. Let's go, right? That's, that's what I thought. Um, and in my mid-20s, I had also had this, this roommate, and both of us are kind of in our mid-20s, and, and we're navigating. We're both single. We're on the prowl, right? And this is what he used to say all the time. He said, um, man, Trev's, he used to call me Trev's because my last name's Trevino. He's like, man, Trev's, like, I'm trying to find a young woman, not a little girl. <laughs> That's what he told me. And I'm like, yeah, man, young women, not little girls. Okay, let's go, let's go. And I, I had, like, I was so with him, and I was excited about that. And I thought I had all this swag and confidence um, in my 20s, but the projected swag was actually me masking a lot of fear of rejection and insecurity that I actually felt. So what came out was a lot of extroversion, outgoingness, like going and talking to people. But underneath that, if you were to peel back the layers, in me, there was a lot of insecurity and a lot of fear of rejection. So throughout my 20s, in high school and in college, and now I get to kind of early 20s, -20s, mid-20s, later 20s, um, I went through a variety of styles externally um, as I'm trying to navigate who I am, what do I like, who am I looking for, is the person that I'm looking for looking for me, what do they want in me? Okay, let me just change myself to fit whatever I think they want. So I went through a variety of styles. I had like a frat boy Isaac when I was in college. Um, I had, um, where I was, and then I went through like preppy Isaac, which is a little different, kind of a slight twist on frat boy Isaac. Um, and, then I, and then I started a hipster Isaac. And some of you met kind of hipster Isaac with a lot of skinny jeans. I um, actually had a man bun with long hair. So I, from, from hipster Isaac here in Orlando, I transitioned to more cut my hair, more Puerto Rican Isaac that you, have t- that you see today. So I'm, I'm 29 years old, and, and I come to this moment when I realize, and this after a string of failed relationships, I know nothing about dating. I don't. I thought I had it all figured out, and I eventually get to this moment when I realize I know nothing. There's a lot more things that I need to learn. So here, here are my options. Either it's God's fault that I'm not where I am or where I want to be relationally, or I need to shift my perspective and behavior when it comes to Romance. It's either God's fault, and if it's God's fault, then I'm just going to wait for him to do what I want him to do, or I need to do some things differently, right? And I need to admit that I need to do some things differently, because at the core of what I wanted was a long-term, exclusive, monogamous relationship, um, which for me and my Christian belief is a covenant marriage, right? So I want an exclusive, long-term, long-term covenant relationship relationship. Um, but in my pursuit of that covenant marriage, like I needed to do some things differently. Um, I was able to piece together from the ground up. After 29, the last few years, I've been able to piece up from the ground up, just rebuilding my perspective and my behavior when it comes to romance, right? And that's why I think for all of us, my aim and why we're doing this series is in part a lot of the conversations that we as a team have been having to help you peace from the ground up, a proper perspective and potential behavior, perspective shift and behavior shift uh, when it comes to navigating um, love, sex, and dating. And I know that and my, my suspicion is that for many of us, myself included, um, even after that, whenever it comes to, um, when, it, when it comes to romance and pursuing romance, for me, I had a lot of positive experiences, and I'm sure you as well maybe have had some positive experiences. But for me as well, even after 29, I still made mistakes. And there were still things that I continue needed to learn, right? There was a lot of heartache. And there is something deep inside of us where the thing that we want more than anything else is a monogamous, exclusive relationship with the one. So here's our question for tonight. It's how do we navigate love, sex, and dating? What do we do? How do we build from the ground up a proper perspective that that will lead to some behavior um, around love, sex, and dating? And fortunately, um, John, in his letter in 1 John, so if you have your Bibles or your apps are going to be in 1 John chapter 4, John helps us frame our perspective and behavior about love, which will in turn frame our perspective around love, sex, and dating. So you have your Bibles are going to be in 1 John 4, um, verses 15 through 18. We'll start in verse 15. Where the author John writes, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. All right, here's what he's saying. He's basically saying, hey, look, if you acknowledge Jesus as Lord of your life, if you say you're following Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, here's what this means, is that you are with God, and God is with you. It uses this word, abide, right? This, and this is fundamental to understanding a proper perspective around romance, is this idea of abiding, right? The word abiding um, it can almost make it, you guys know the word abode, like a home? You can almost think about it like a home. You're at home with God. So if you're putting your faith and your trust in Jesus, you're, God, you're literally at home um, with God. And here we must abide with God before starting any relationship with a guy or girl, this is fundamental. A lot of us start trying to pursue relationships with, with girls or with guys. Or, um, and we, ca- we kind of do like the, the God thing. And then we think that God doesn't want our best interests at, my, at heart. And we think that God is not actually for us when it comes to relationships, so we're going to put God over here because he hasn't given us what we wanted in the past, and we're just going to start pursuing things without really um, considering what God might want for our life. We keep God way over there, and now we start um, um, chasing and going after um, different people way over here, right? There's a a disintegration, and we see this often. Unfortunately, we see this often to where we meet you here at the table or here at First Orlando, Right, we meet you, um, and then um, you meet somebody else, <laughs> or your friends uh, may meet somebody else, and then what happens? Hey, has anybody seen, I'm gonna make up a fake name, uh, Amy, has anybody seen Amy? Like, no, what happened? Like, oh, she's started dating somebody. Like, oh, yep, makes sense, right? Just disappear, <laughs> right? And what, and what happens with that? What happens is people will start trying to go after these dating relationships, romantic relationships, and disappear, right? And as in this disappearance, there's, there's a leaving of the home with God. This is absolutely fundamental to understanding a healthy perspective on romance and on dating is, is starting with us abiding with God, right? We must abide with God before starting any relationship with a guy or a girl. So we start moving on to verse 16 where he says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him right it says here this I love this phrase he says the love that God has for us read that again the love that God has for us another way to think about this is God God calls us his beloved At our core, we want to feel loved, and we want to feel valued. So whenever we're seeking relationships, for whatever reason it may be, I think if you're aware of it or unaware of it, deep down, you're either aware of it or subconsciously, I think what we're trying to find is value. What we're trying to find is worth, right? What we're trying to find is somebody that just cares for us, loves us, accepts us, Um, somebody that um, respects us. Maybe you're somebody that just values respect, and you're like, man, I'm just going to... Maybe um, you want somebody that just thinks highly of you. And here is the God Almighty of the universe, whose truly only uh, perspective, opinion matters, that thinks the highest of you. He thinks the world of you. The Father sent his son Jesus to die for his glory and for our good, so that we may be in right relationship with him. That's how much, that's what God thinks of you, right? Um, Brendan Manning, in his book, um, Abba's Child, he says this, that God created us for union with himself. This is the original purpose of our lives. And God is defined as love. Living in awareness of our belovedness is the axis around which the Christian life revolves. He continues, being the beloved is our identity, the core of our existence. It is not merely a lofty thought, an inspiring idea, or the one name among many. It is the name by which God knows us and the way he relates to us. Here's what he's saying, is that God is love, and God calls us his beloved. How beautiful is that? How amazing is that? So as we sit here, I'm gonna pause for a few seconds. It's gonna feel a little awkward, but I'm trying to prove a point, so just sit with me. I'm gonna sit for just for a few seconds. You ready? Okay. Right now, in this moment, you are not doing a single thing. You're not proving yourself. You're not trying to get anybody's attention. And God, in this moment, in your seats, exactly where you are, calls you beloved. That's incredible. That's such amazing news, right? And we're, we're trying to find our state of belovedness in another relationship. Our pursuit, or us trying to find our state of belovedness in another relationship is futile. We're never going to find what we're looking for relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship, trying to feel beloved. And this is why we abide with God. Because God says, you're beloved with me. You don't have to go find it somewhere else. You have it right here at home with me, right? And, and part of our misconception about love, sex, and dating is we use it to get validation. We use it to feel beloved. And here's what God is saying, is that he is a source of love. And as he is a source of love, his love pursues us and he calls us his. He calls us beloved. And he goes on this in verse 17 where he says, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in the world. Okay, so there's a few things I want to unpack here um, here in the sentence. First of all, it says the day of judgment. Here's what this means. Um, There have been, I don't know, millions of books about this topic, the day of judgment, but I'm going to say it really simply and summarize it. It It's at the end of the world, God is going to make everything right. And he's going to punish people who are evil and guilty. That's the day of judgment, right? But what he's saying here is we don't have to fear. Because for those of us that put our faith and our trust in Christ, the evil and the guilt that we deserve, Jesus took that for us on the cross. So God on the day of judgment does not look at us as guilty and evil. God looks to us as righteous because of his son Jesus and the blood of Jesus that covers us. So he's saying, hey, we can have confidence in that. Is that at the end of our lives, whenever you die, at the end of your life, you will be with Jesus face to face. And that's what we call confidence. And I'm going to even say that's what we call eternal confidence. But here's what we feel. It's really hard uh, to wrap our mind around that right now. Because what we know to be true is that the, uh, the story of our lives right now is still being written. Right? There's some chapters in our lives that we still are curious about when it comes to our jobs, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to family, when it comes to future decisions, when it comes to cities that we may live in. The story of our lives, I mean, look, we're in college, we're in our young 20s, mid-20s, late 20s, some of some of us still may be teenagers. The story of our lives is still being written, right? And we feel that day to day. It's like up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and here's what we know. For those of us that are in Christ, the final chapter has already been written. And we know that it's face to face with Jesus. So if we have that perspective, right, um, it changes it a little bit, right, to where like, yes, there's up and down to navigate, um, but also that's exactly what it says where he says, and as he is so, also we are in this world. Basically what that, that phrase means is that Jesus navigated his life with eternal confidence. When Jesus was here on earth, he navigated the ups and downs of life with eternal confidence, knowing where he was going to be um, after his death, burial, and resurrection, like he knew the story, Right? So because if Jesus was able to navigate the world, Jesus as our Lord and Jesus as our model, we can navigate our lives with eternal confidence. Eternally confident people know they are God's beloved and know they will one day see Jesus face to face. Can I say that one more time? Eternally confident people know they are God's beloved and know that they will one day see Jesus face to face. Do you guys feel the gravity of that? Is that when we're eternally confident, we know that at the end of our lives, we will see Jesus face to face, right? So if that's true, doesn't that change how we navigate love, sex, and dating? If that's true, right? So a lot of us, we, we feel that, does he like me? Does he not like me? Does she like me? Does she not like me? Um, I don't know. Should I text him? Should I not text him? Um, is texting weird? do people still text? Should I call? Should I not call? Do I slide into the DMs? Do I not slide into the DMs? Um, am I, uh, do I go on a date? Do I not go on a date? Are we just hanging out? Are we friends? I don't know. I don't know what's going on, right? And all of these things we'll cover throughout the series, right? But uh, my point is, yes, there are things to navigate. My point is, it pales in comparison to eternity, Because in eternity, for those of us that are in Christ, we know for 100% confidence that we will see Jesus face to face. So, us having eternal confidence completely changes how we think through love, sex, and dating. But here's the problem in modern romance when it comes to eternal confidence. Here's the problem insecurity. What Jesus wants to us, what God wants for us, is eternal confidence. But oftentimes, what we experience is insecurity. We don't act out of eternal confidence. Oftentimes, we act out of insecurity. Okay, so what does insecurity look like? What is insecurity? Well, d- d- insecurity, by definition, means to lack confidence, and we kind of know just generally what insecurity looks like. Have you ever been to a party, right, or been to a gathering of people, and like you just see the person, or maybe you are the person, and I've been the person, um, where you're just like along the wall. Or, like, you're in the car, like, texting all your friends to make sure they're there before you even walk in, right? Or you're by the, f- or you're by the food because you know that, like, at least you always have something to do by the, by the chip bowl. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm at this party. I don't know what to do with my hands or my mouth, right? I, don't know, I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to talk to people. Like, um, here I am just e- eating chips, here I am just drinks. Um, on my phone, texting. It's like you're in a room full of 100 people, and you're still like on your phone. What you do in your bedroom every night, <laughs> like, I, like I get it. So a lot of times when you look, when we we think of insecurity, yeah, it, it can look like shyness, right? It can look like timidity. It can look like compliance. Uh, somebody that's shy may be somebody that also just always assumes blame, like it's always their fault. So maybe the shy people that you know in your life, or you, if you consider yourself a shy person, um, you're just always taking the blame on things. Um, That's one version. Can I share with you the other version? Loudness. The person that wants attention, the person that has so much bravado, the person that breaks all the rules, the person that's defiant, um, the person that never admits they did anything wrong, that's also a version of insecurity. (laughs) See, the, The shy person is insecure, and their version of insecurity looks like avoiding attention. The loud person, their version of insecurity, looks like seeking attention validation, right? And, and we see this, and perhaps we've even experienced this, um, to where the, 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 the loud, kind of insecure person, you know, that's a lot of external appearance, right? Um, it's a lot of how do I look? How do I look right now? It's a lot of, you know, going home. Okay, I, I know I was the center of attention at the party, but man, what do people think of that? Do they still like me? Do they approve of me? Like, do I have value? Okay, I'm known for being the funny person, so I always need to be the funny person. I never have permission to just be myself and just be, you know what, I just don't feel like being funny right now. Insecure people always feel like they need to be on. Um, here's the, the irony, is that shy people think confidence is being loud and being the center of attention. <laughs> Why? Because that's what the world says. The world says confident. Oh, yeah, confident people take up so much space, right? You ever watched, uh, maybe this is me because I'm weird, um, like watch YouTube videos just around like social interactions, and, like in these YouTube videos that like, help kind of coach social interactions. Um, okay, I just totally revealed my nerdness. Sheesh, wow. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. Uh, you know, th- th- these YouTube videos are like, yeah, you want to you wanna command space, but just take up space and do this. Or just, you know, before you go into that meeting, just like be really big, which in part is true. I'm not saying those things aren't helpful, but man, like where is this bravado coming from? Like why are you being big to have just put on some external performance so people like you? Like that's a lot different than being eternally confident because you know what eternally confident people are like? Eternally confident people know they're beloved by God. Eternally confident people know being beloved by God means to turn and love someone else. So around here, the most confident people are the people that know they are so beloved by God and don't have to do a single thing about it. And from that confidence, then they're like, cool, I know I'm beloved. Man, I want to tell someone else that they're also beloved. I want to love someone else. I want to be the most loving version of myself that I can. That's true Confidence, not this fake external confidence, right? Um, or we think that you know the world tells us, uh, confidence, cultural tells us that you know confidence is having your voice heard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my voice heard. Dang it! I'm gonna let when I speak, people are gonna listen. All right? Okay. <laughs> Or, uh, you know, being loud and attention-seeking, um, yeah, it's just, it's just more forms, it's just more versions of insecurity, right? That's not, that's not eternal confidence, it's just another form of false confidence, which still at its root is insecurity. And there, there's two types of insecurity. Have you guys seen this? This was happening a few months ago, the milk crate challenge. Did you guys see this? Okay, there's actually a really good form of insecurity. It saves your life, Right? So I don't know if you, did you guys see the milk crate challenge? So people are like going off milk crate after trying to scale, trying to um, scale this like really, really unstable, um, insecure milk crates. And then we see here, some of our friends here just like epically wiping out, right? And then you sitting there, I would assume as a wise person would say, I'm not kidding on that. (laughs) Um, Actually, I mean, this happened back in... um, uh, back in early August, whenever the COVID Delta variant was like raping rampant and like people are needing to go to the ER, but milk crate Challenge people are taking up spaces in the ER when COVID people are trying to come in, <sighs> right? This is, this is a really good version of insecurity of you saying, I'm not putting my life in danger, right? I'm not confident in that structure. That's a really good version of insecurity. But there's another type of insecurity to where some of us may say, hey, just like, I'm just an insecure person. I'm always in this perpetual, unwavering state of insecurity. And in my version of insecurity, you know, always lack confidence, or I fear disapproval from others, or um, I fear rejection, or um, I constantly feel inferior. So it's more of the shy version, or again, the more kind of bravado version is we just feel like we need to prove ourselves, right? where so we just feel like, especially when it comes to romance, when it comes to romantic relationships, we're constantly proving ourselves to ourselves and others, and posting about it, right, and having our list of people that we've been with, and racking up our numbers, right, just to, to prove something to ourselves around who we are, because we got this, right, I'm a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a person that people like, right, I'm going to prove it. It's a version of insecurity, where we just, we get really competitive about it, we can crave attention. I used to work at the I used to work um, after high school, before I went to college, I was working at the YMCA. And um, so me and there was this other guy that was working there when he was like 26. And so we're there at the pool. Um, So we're there kind of like watching, you know, making sure the children don't drown. They're at the pool. Um, And um, so me and this guy are on the bleachers. And there's this girl that's sitting across the pool, right? And then he says, hey, look at that and describes your hair color. He's like, it's been a while since I've been with that hair color. And I'm like, ew, that's... Dude, that's gross. Like, what do you, we don't have that relationship, bro. Like, I don't, like, that's so gross. But what is that? That's just an insecure, like, bravado, machismo thing going on in him. That's just gross, right? That's gross. But unwavering insecurity distorts our identity and reveals what we fear the most. Because at its core, insecurity is a form of fear. It's a form of fear, right? Um, See, in some of us, if we're to be honest, I mean, myself included, uh, for a while, is that some of us fear being single. Some of us fear having a relationship like our parents. Some of us fear abandonment. Some of us fear commitment. And with that fear and insecurity, we start acting out of that insecurity. Right? So what do I mean by that? Have you guys ever um, been part of a text huddle? What's a text huddle? Um, one person needs to send a text message, but 10 people then come around this person and create a huddle. All right, you guys, have you, have you seen this, right? So typically it looks like, um, uh, most of the time when it comes to relationships, um, somebody asking someone out on a date, or somebody responding to a date, or uh, breaking up with somebody, or just trying to keep the conversation going with a potential romantic partner, right? So what happens when in this text huddle is they're like, okay, I need to text this person back, right? And everyone's like, oh, we're here for you. Like, okay, cool. So like, okay, so I'm thinking this. And you show it and they're like, no, not that. And you're like, you're right, not that. Um, okay, try, try this. That's better, we're getting closer, warmer, warmer. Okay, okay, you write it for me. Like, okay, I'll write it for you. So then you get the phone and then you craft the text message and you're like, okay, is that good? That's good, right? And they, the person who needs to send it signs off on it. Um, and then there's like, ah! send. <laughs> <laughs> and then you chunk the phone across the room. You're like, oh, I don't even wanna see this response. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> Um, So, what's going on there, right? Um, What's going on there is um, there's a form of, of fear that's going on, right? Let's just be honest. There's a form of fear, right? Now, to this person's credit, the person that created the huddle, right, or the person that has some really amazing friends, the person has been able to combat this fear with a really strong support system, which is incredible, right? Now what happens if you don't have the huddle, though? Here's what happens if you don't have the huddle and you're still acting out of insecurity, right? We, we don't say yes to a date. We, we say no out of fear. Or we don't ask someone out on a date in the first place out of fear, right? Or um, we ask 17 people out on the date in the same night. You know that person? Mm-hmm, right? Just boom, 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 boom. Just asking people, asking people, asking people. Why? Because, like, I'm single right now. I can't be single. I can't be single. I got to, got to, got to, so I just got to, um, you know, um, uh, shoot for a million and hope I hit one. Like, that is not a good approach, right? Or uh, we don't break up when we need to. We'll stay in a relationship way longer than we need to um, because of fear, right? Because we don't know what will happen. Um, so when I was in college, um, I remember um, frequently, uh, something in college, I'm probably, you know, 19, 20 years old. And I remember frequently sitting in my dorm on a Friday night, um, just feeling bored and lonely, right? And I actually had met, you know, because typically I'm pretty outgoing and extroverted, so I'd actually met a lot of people in college, but there were a lot of weekends where I was just there, just bored, lonely by myself. And it's because I felt safe, I felt okay, hanging out with like the three or four or five people that I was really tight with, but if they were all busy, I was fearful to ask anyone else to want to spend time together because at my core, I had this fear of rejection. And I was like, man, I don't want somebody rejecting me. So I'm just not even going to put myself out there. I'm not even gonna try to cultivate a relationship with a new person, right? Why? That's that's fear-based, that's acting out of insecurity, that's acting out of fear, right? And like, there, it was a college campus, like there's lots of people around all the time. I literally just had to walk out of my dorm and there would be somebody like, hey, you, you want to hang out? And they would say, yes, right? Probably, I don't know. <laughs> but but that, wasn't, that wasn't my experience, right? I would just be there, just in the room, just bored um, and lonely, right? And here's what relationships do is relationships don't make you insecure. They reveal the insecurities that you already have. When it comes to relationships, it's not like a relationship that makes us insecure, right? It just reveals what's already there and some stuff that's already going on. So here's what we do. So John gets to verse 18 where he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. But whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And here's the big idea for tonight is don't act out of insecurity. Act out of love. Don't act out of insecurity, act out of love, right? So so what does that mean? What does acting out of love mean? We we kind of talked through, described what acting out of insecurity can look like when it comes to love, sex, and dating, but what does acting out of love look like? Number one, address unresolved anxieties and insecurities. Address unresolved anxieties and insecurities, right? And even ask this question, what do I fear? Anytime we're feeling anxious, I'm using the word insecure a lot, but it applies to anxiety as well. Anytime we're feeling anxious, anytime we're feeling insecure, we're fearing something. So we need to be able to name what we're feeling. What is um, the thing um, that we're feeling, right? Well, like, what is it? Is it, again, just being single? Is it family stuff? Is it potential friendship stuff? Potential conflict stuff? Is it some, a very specific person's opinion of you that you, care, that you deeply care for and value? What do you fear? What's what's the thing that you fear, right? And and here's why step one is most important, or number one is most important, is because you have to get yourself right before bringing somebody else into your life. You have to. This is this is why this is foundational. You have to recognize that we are beloved by God, right? And we don't need to fear, right? Because perfect love casts out fear. But also know, be aware that y'all we're human beings. We're gonna fear. We're human beings. So it's important to name the fear and have a good support system around that fear to keep moving forward in life and not let fear destroy you. Not let fear limit all of your options. Not let fear take away parts of your life. That's what fear does. That's what anxiety does. That's what insecurity does. It takes away parts of your life. And God's a really big God that doesn't want to limit your life, that wants to give you eternal life and life in abundance here on earth today. So that's why we can trust him, right, and we can have eternal confidence um, in him and get some good people around us to help us navigate that we don't need to be perfect in our fears, but we need to be aware of our fears and we need to be working through that. So if, you're, if you don't know what you fear, if you're sitting here right now and we'll have um, just some space to process as well, but if you don't know what you fear, you're not going to have a healthy relationship right now. You're going to have a relationship that you don't like. You're going to have a relationship you don't enjoy. And maybe you're with somebody that is unaware of what they fear, and that's kind of what you're experiencing, right? And you may feel some unequalness going on. That's exactly what's going on. Like, we have to be aware to know, um, to address any unresolved anxieties or insecurities. Here's the, um, well, let let me get on to, let me get on to number two. Okay, number two, Um, replace neediness with eternal confidence. Ooh, (laughs) Replace neediness with eternal confidence. There's a difference as we're pursuing romantic relationships, um, and even perhaps you're already in a romantic relationship, right? But there's a difference between um, dating from a state of eternal confidence versus dating for confidence. There's a complete difference between us knowing that we are confident, eternally confident because of Jesus, and then from that moving forward into into romantic relationships versus I'm not a confident person, I'm an insecure person, and I'm only going to get validation and confidence as I'm in a relationship. What does that do? That puts a lot of pressure on the relationship. Why? Because that's your source of security. And that's your source of confidence. So whenever the relationship goes, boom, there goes your confidence. It's so much better whenever you have one eternally confident person that starts um, engaging and spending time with another eternally confident person and two eternally confident people choose to spend time together. That's an amazing relationship. And here's what happens is that two people that are eternally confident – you know, choose to spend time together, and then it may lead to something, but it may not. And if it doesn't lead to anything, then both people can say, hey, this was a good experience. Um, We're going to decide to not spend time together anymore. And both people say, this is sad, but okay. And both people are okay, because it doesn't wreck them. Why? Because their confidence is not in the relationship. The confidence is in the eternal God. And it changes how we date and how we pursue um, dating, right? So whenever you freely and boldly date and love in eternal confidence, it releases all the pressure and expectations that we put on dating, right? A lot of us put so much pressure on this, like, one interaction at a dinner or wherever we may go. There's so much pressure on it. And whenever we're eternally confident, look, it's either a good experience or it's not, and I don't need to be here and I don't need you, so we're good. Bye, (laughs) right? That's what eternally confident people can do right? And we, we, it gives us freedom to truly be ourselves, because now we're no longer trying to get confidence from another person's opinion of us, so now we don't have to lie and say we like country music, <laughs> right? Or, um, lie, or lie and say, oh yeah, like I, oh yeah, I definitely am in the gym, you know, three times a week, definitely, definitely, right? Woo, def- I'm definitely in the gym, right? Or whatever, whatever it may do, or we start, you know, music preferences, whatever it may be, we start, um, have you guys seen um, uh, Parks and Rec? Yes. Okay, so in Parks and Rec, there's a character named um, Ann Perkins. Yes. And um, Ann Perkins, um, she has what she calls her boyfriend box. And she has this box around every relationship that she's been in. And in the box is like completely different stuff. Right, so she has a box um, around like when she was really into um, um, like CrossFit, and she has like a CrossFit box, right? And I don't remember exactly what it is. I'm just making stuff up now, right? And then she has her, um, you know, that time that she was dating a music producer, right? And she has her music producer box, right? And then she has her, um, you know, what it, whatever it may be, the time that she was into um, law, I don't know. She's dating a lawyer, I don't know. But basically, like, in the show, they were making a joke around how she would just completely change her personality, change her preferences, change everything about herself to mold into the person that the person that she was dating was. So she was putting her confidence in this other person and what was going to make the relationship work, but a relationship is never going to work if you can't be true to who you are as a child of God. Okay. So we know that we're already loved and we're already accepted and we can truly be ourselves made in the image of God. So it doesn't matter how the date goes. It doesn't. We want it to go well. We hope it goes well. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of eternity, it doesn't matter, right? And as we will talk through the series, if we continue pursuing um, romantic relationships in a really healthy way, I'm confident that things will work out, but we can't guarantee anything. And even if it doesn't work out long-term, even if we don't find the exclusive monogamous, if you're a believer in Christ, um, most likely your desire for a covenant marriage, even if that's not in the story of your life, will be okay. Um, Next week, we're actually gonna talk a lot about, hey, how do we process um, a season of singleness? How do we navigate that? How do we process that, right? That's where most of us find ourselves here today, and we're gonna talk about that a lot next week. But here's, um, thirdly, here I I wanna wrap up here. Thirdly, is I want us, as we, you know, what does acting out of love look like? We want to act out of love and not out of insecurity. Here's what acting out of love looks like. Is I want us to reflect on 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And I want us to ask the question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? as i think through my romantic relationships as i think through navigating love sex and dating this is the question that i want to leave us with is what does love require of us what does love require of you and a really helpful way to think through that is first corinthians 13 um, 4-7 through where he says this is what love requires is love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant Or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. What does love require of us? It's this. So if you're in a season where you really want to seriously think through, and I hope you do, or I, hope you, or I truly hope you do want to seriously navigate um, love, sex, and dating, right? and what does that look like in your life and in the, the practicalities of your life, and we'll get into more kind of practicals in future weeks. But if this is truly on your heart, truly something that you desire, this should be a passage that you meditate on. That you reflect on daily. If you want to print it out, write it, put it on your mirror. You know, do what, it, put, make a note in your phone, whatever you need to do. As you're truly navigating what a season, uh, navigating love, sex, and dating, I want for us to ask the, continually, ask the question to not act out of insecurity, but act out of love. And as we're acting out of love, we're asking, what does love require of us? That we are a people that are patient. That we are a people that are kind. That we are a people that that don't keep a record of wrongs. Have you ever, um, some of you may have dated that person. You know that person that keeps a record of wrongs? Just tally every time you mess up? Oof. You're not going to believe this. It didn't work out, right? Or maybe it did, and I don't want to point to the first elbow of the person next to you. I don't know. But y'all, this, this, this is life-changing whenever we ask the question, what does love require of us? And if, if you're already in a relationship right now, this is a great question to ask, is what does love require of me? Not only with my significant other, but also just with every person around me, right? Single, dating, engaged, married, I don't know where you are right now. What does love require of us? And here's what I want for us. Here's what I want for you, that we become a fearless Eternally confident people. I um, actually was considering naming the the series of "Fearless," "Fearless Romance," but then my team was like, "That Isaac, that's like, a Taylor Swift album." I was like, "Okay, you're right, you're right. <laughs> but but I just I just love I love that idea of being fearless, that we are we we are fearless. We have this eternal confidence to move forward in our life to where we're not fearing anything. Right? Well, we fear God. And we don't fear, man, we're able to move forward with God has called us to do. And that's what I want for your life more than anything in every area of your life. And as you're considering and exploring, navigating love, sex, and dating. And as you do that, um, uh, your life will be radically changed. The story that you inherited from your family can be different because the decisions that you're making today with the perspective shift starting today and the behavior shift starting today can rewrite the story of your life to where people that you interact with don't need to have the negative, um, the negative experiences that you've had, the trauma that you have. You can rewrite the story in an incredibly gospel-oriented, God-honoring way. That's what I want for you more than anything in the name of Jesus. So here's how we're going to respond. Um, We're going to respond by singing. I mean, I love the song that we're about to sing. It's a song we sang earlier, if you were here, uh, Cornerstone, right? Where it just talks about, hey, look, Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the starting point. Jesus is the foundation upon which we stand on. Christ alone, Cornerstone right? That's going to be the foundation that we stand on. Um, And then after we sing for a little bit, um, then we're actually going to take communion together. So there on your chair, um, you should have, um, and if you're not, it's not on your chair, there's some open ones kind of around you. You can find an open chair, um, but I'll, I'll come back and I'll lead us through a time where we can take communion together to be able just to remember the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus where we are just bought and we are his and we can just dwell with him and we can be so incredibly grateful for Jesus and what he's done and remember his death, burial, and sacrifice and resurrection on the cross. So that's how we'll spend the next few minutes together.